Yeah. And the other side of that too is the lenadite itself. You know, um, Av wanted to talk about silt and we never really got a chance to go down that rabbit hole, but essentially that's what that lenardite is, is, is yeah. a silt that hasn't been converted into a hydrocarbon yet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, where, can you tell us where you're harvesting, where your mine is? Uh, the harvesting is done in it's in North America. It's in it's in the U.S. just because that's currently where it is. But we're we're currently qualifying uh, a different source that is Canadian. Okay. Uh, it's out here in B.C. Um, having a, a consistent product because we because of you know regulatory compliance, uh, we have to submit samples about twenty times a year randomly uh, to CFIA to for the Canadian registrations. Uh, to ensure that we have, you know, the heavy metals, any microbials, all of those need to be well below any acceptable limits. So our, um, our source is a North American source, but there are loads of sources globally. So there's a lot of access to the raw material. The process, obviously, are, are we, we are, we're super proud that we have this unique process that gives us a very uh, clean, highly concentrated, highly soluble product with these unique charge um, and it's not the source material that leads to the, the unique charge. It's the actual process in which they're extracted. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, like the, the, the chemical component of the extraction process, um, it is a big part of it, of what can, there's, you can extract directly from the source or this for some fulvic acids, for example, they, they'll extract from a humic acid source. So you'll usually get a trace humic acid. And this is where the confusion is in somewhere like California, is that they're claiming that trace element of humic acid. So if you see a humic acid product, but it's like 0.06%, it's probably fulvic acid, but they just can't say it. Mm -hmm. So this misguidance on what the role is of each of these products is really, it's really hard. And I think that that's the, our biggest challenge has been that learning curve, especially where, you know, our California counterparts and the people we work with there, they're like, yeah, I could go to the shop and buy a humic. And I'm like, but you don't know what you're buying. If you look at the pH of it, if you have a humic acid, that's like a 6.8, I'd really question putting that in your system because as soon as there's a, any further pH down, you're going to have precipitate. You're going to have clogged lines. You're going to. It's going to contribute to biofilm. It's going to be problematic. And I think historically, where people have, you know, you talk to farmers and you say, "Oh, I've got a liquid carbon." They're like, "I've tried carbon. No thanks. Um, it's just gummed up my irrigation system. Don't want to use it because of the way that it had been or previous techniques in which uh, people were extracting were." you the source material wasn't ground fine enough or um it wasn't uh, as a clean quality so there was heavy metal contaminants there was other issues that were problematic with the formula or the product and there's lots of humics you can find online that are powdered you lose that charge when you go to a dried formula and when you reconstitute it now you're looking at what is the quality of the water that i am dissolving this powder into and you need to give it time to sort of acclimate into that liquid environment and then do all your testing and pH testing and, and all of that, it becomes onerous. I mean, the alternative is that you take a ground leonardite or a humic powder and you just add it right into the soil and mix it in. But now you're relying on the microbiology to break that down. So now it's going to take some time. So in a living soil environment, that's great. They're turning their soil over. They're reutilizing their soil. In a lot of till farming, um, 
it works okay there as well. Again, they're going to see results over years, not immediately. So again, it's the time that you're investing into it. When you're in a highly converting environment like indoor greenhouses, produce greenhouses, where they're going to have three to four crops a year, having a, a, a carbon powder that's going into their liquid system, they're very reticent to doing that. It, I mean, that that's probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of hang up if they've got to spend a week or two flushing a system. They could be producing 10,000 kilos of cucumbers uh, off of a, you know, a two acre parcel in a greenhouse. That's a, that's a lot of revenue lost over a two to three week span to try to clear out a system. So there's a lot of hesitation in greenhouse environments and closed environment, closed environments, um, just because historically the products have had some challenges in more contained uh, distribution. If you're spraying out into a field, usually the valves are big enough that it's not going to be too much of an issue. But as we were talking about the reservoirs, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a, it's actually a benefit to keeping those lines easier to, to be more readily cleaned out. And in fact, humic and fulvics can be used in septic systems. So you can actually use them to biodegrade organic material uh, in anaerobic di or anaerobic digestive environments that are they 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 perform in a lot of different ways. So it's it was a it was interesting when we started with this. We started with agriculture. We started with plant agriculture because we were really passionate about plants and food security. Um, in Canada, it, you know, with cannabis being legalized is when we sort of got started. We're like, this is going to be a great opportunity to bring some of this into commercial cannabis production and hemp because there's a lot of benefit that these plants can provide. So let's get behind this. Um, and it quickly spilled over. We started to see the the animal, like the livestock benefits. And then it spilled even further over. And we're like, but if animals, then people. And we know that when people consume fulvic acid in particular, it can resolve a lot of symptoms from a lot of different ailments. And we see that. So it kind of, it, the spillover effect was just really quite... Uh, uh, almost overwhelming because we just dove down into all these rabbit holes kind of at the same time. A four-year span is a very short amount of time to dive into three different industries. Um, but it was, we just saw the benefit of all of all three realms. So we, we just kind of couldn't hold back. <laughs> well, they're all connected, right? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to be like, well, we'll go here because that one is, and that one's not so important. Like the people aren't that important. I'm, I have a, I have several health issues. I have a few autoimmune disorders. So when I was first introduced that I could take this and how it would benefit me, it's been, uh, very much a game changer for me. I have hypothyroidism. I have uh, celiac disease. I have uh, Raynaud's. I have uh, a lot of uh, food allergies. Uh, and I've found by being consistent with having fulvic in particular for me, um, we are going to be releasing a, a humic fulvic combination product soon. We're just getting a bunch of testing done. But our fulvic product has been, we, we were taking it before we even flavored it. So it was just the fulvic acid. Um, the flavored version tastes amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a ginger citrus. It is, it's just like having a bit of a, a little spicy lemon tea. It's, it's delicious and it's so easy to consume. It's just a capful, it's five mil, it's a teaspoon once or twice a day. Um, and, and the, the results, it's, it's been, I think the most gratifying thing is to, to hand samples out to friends and family or just people within our network and within days, just check in and be like, so how are you feeling? How are you finding it? They're like, oh my gosh. Right. So have a visceral reaction within a few days where people can be like, I have, I've, especially right now, we've been focusing on people who have SIBO, like really focusing on gut biome because it, it is a a challenge for a lot of people, like people who say I have IBS, a lot of them probably have SIBO and whether their doctors have tested them for it or not, um, most don't, but if they have been tested for it, we've found that within a few days or within a week, generously, within a week or two, they're coming back and saying, I have not had any symptoms and it's not a miracle cure. It's just really just something that helps the body better acclimate to whatever the issue is. And if you're better able to absorb your nutrients and your minerals, you have a stronger immunity, your body can combat the, the imbalance, but it's also going to promote, because it is a carbon, it is going to act as a prebiotic. So it's going to promote your beneficial bacteria. It's going to promote the probiotics, especially if you're taking a probiotic to provide a food source. It's going to be really important to do that.